Thank All right, we're ready. Go ahead. In the cash. In the cash. You are my enemy. You are my enemy. If I do harm to you, to you, I do harm to myself. I do harm to myself. But if I love and respect you, but if I love and respect you, I love and respect myself. I love and respect myself. and welcome back to Hello Gen Z. We're a podcast from the San Diego Union Tribune. I'm Christy Totten, here with Abby Hamblin. What you just heard was a scene from Guillermo Gomez's ethnic studies class at Lincoln High School in San Diego. It's a Mayan poem called In La Quesh that they read at the start of every class. Today's episode is all about ethnic studies and diversifying school curriculum to better reflect the United States. We're going to take you into Gomez's class again a little later in the episode to show you what ethnic studies looks like in practice. So Gen Z is the most racially diverse American generation ever. Hopefully we've made that clear by now. If not, go check out some of our earlier episodes. Gen Z is also on track to be the most educated. They're more likely to finish high school and attend college than previous generations. One reason is because Americans overall are becoming more educated, but there's another reason too. Here's Kim Parker from Pew Research. While the share of white young people who are completing high school has remained pretty stable over time, there have been significant gains in black high school graduation rates and also in Hispanic high school graduation rates. And since we know that those racial and ethnic groups make up a bigger share of this generation than in the past. I think that's that helps to explain um, the educational trends in part. Because of immigration, the non-white population in the United States has grown exponentially since about the 1950s, and the country is projected to be majority non-white by 2045. California and other states are trying to adapt to a more diverse student body, and ethnic studies is one of the ways they're doing that. Ethnic studies dates back to the civil rights movement of the 1960s when college students in Northern California demanded to learn more about their own histories. It's why universities have majors like African American studies, Asian studies, Native American, and Chicano studies. So it's not a new idea necessarily, it's just newly applied to high school students. San Francisco has been teaching ethnic studies in high schools since 2015, and California, Oregon, and Vermont are all looking into making it a high school graduation requirement. Here's Crystal Sung, a Taiwanese-American college student at Georgetown University. When we're talking about World War II, we never talk about the Asia-Pacific Front. We don't talk, we don't talk about the Sino-Japanese Wars. We don't talk about um, the Chinese Civil War. Um, to the point that in my AP World History class one year, this kid was like, oh, I thought the Chinese still lived in like villages and stuff. Like that sort of <laughs> that that goes to show that our education has not been doing enough in terms of um, widespread coverage of um, different societies and cultures. So I think having that incorporated into our history curriculum, regardless of whether we have like a separate ethnic studies class, is very important. Ethnic studies is basically teaching through a diverse lens. American history is often taught from a European perspective about conquistadors, missionaries, and settlers who colonized this land. So it's an effort for students of color to see themselves reflected in the curriculum when historically they haven't been. But another part of it is actually also to think about the ways that our country is structured. That's Emily Penner, an assistant professor of education at UC Irvine. Thinking about different kinds of systems of oppression, discrimination, 
biases, stereotypes, and to really help students develop a lens for seeing some of the social structures at work in not just our education system, but in our political system, in a lot of our other social structures, families, communities, etc. As a researcher at Stanford, Dr. Penner wondered how ethnic studies classes might affect high school students' grades. So she did a study following incoming freshmen in San Francisco who had GPAs of 2.0 or under in eighth grade. These were students who were flagged as at risk of dropping out. And the results were stunning. We found that the effect of taking the class increased their attendance by 21 percentage points. It increased the credits that they earned by 23 additional credits, which is more than four classes overall. And it increased their GPA by 1.4 grade points. 1.4 grade points. That's almost a letter grade and a half. So if you had a C average after the class, you might have a B plus average. It's pretty incredible. We asked Dr. Penner how she was sure that ethnic studies deserve the credit here as opposed to something else. Well, that's a good question. So um, the way that we did that was by trying to test some other competing explanations. Basically, she and her co-author Thomas D. did two things. First, they compared students who had taken the course to students with similar GPAs who had not. And they found that only students who had taken the class improved their grades. And then they thought, well, maybe it's not the curriculum. Maybe it's the teachers. And so we compared the impacts that those teachers had on the same set of outcomes for their, ki- their students in those other classes. And we saw no evidence that they were among the most effective teachers of those other classes. It was something special about those teachers teaching this ethnic studies content that seemed to drive the um, large improvements. And these findings aren't isolated. In 2019, two researchers at UC San Diego evaluated a high school pilot course. Students who took the class reported an increased appreciation for school, their communities, and themselves. They also gained a better understanding of the struggles of their peers and said the class motivated them to engage in activism. Ethnic studies isn't universally embraced. It has passionate supporters, but also passionate critics. The Tucson Unified School District banned ethnic studies in 2010, saying it was racist and, quote, promoted resentment toward a race or class of people, meaning white people. A federal judge in Arizona struck down that policy, but when it comes to ethnic studies, there's a lot of debate about what should be covered. In California, a bill that would make ethnic studies a high school graduation requirement has been revised due to criticism. Critics said it didn't represent all groups and it was too liberal. The Wall Street Journal published a scathing op-ed in 2019 titled, California Wants to Teach Your Kids That Capitalism is Racist. The state's efforts have been criticized by many groups. For example, some in the Jewish community have said the model curriculum was too sympathetic to a Palestinian-led movement to boycott Israel. Other groups who have taken issue include Armenians, Greeks, Hindus, Koreans, and Pacific Islanders. The latest version has Arab Americans feeling excluded. Traditionally, ethnic studies focuses on Asians, Latinos, African Americans, and Native Americans. But as ethnic studies grows, so does the question of whose stories it should tell. California lawmakers just sent a bill to the governor's desk that would make ethnic studies a high school graduation requirement in 2029. It would also make schools offer an elective course by 2025. 
In the meantime, San Diego has become a proving ground for the course. It's already being implemented in a couple of high schools here, and last year, San Diego Unified voted to adopt ethnic studies courses district-wide by 2021. So what does ethnic studies look like in action? We went to Lincoln High School to find out. We're in the classroom of Guillermo Gomez, a social studies teacher. So let's stand up, let's do our poem. Uh, no phones, get your headphones up the ear. International flags hang from the ceiling and the walls are covered in posters of social justice icons like Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Che Guevara, and Dolores Huerta. Gomez was actually one of the teachers who helped draft California's first model curriculum, and he's been teaching the subject for 12 years. At his high school, freshmen take an intro to social justice course, and juniors take ethnic studies, the class we're in now. I've seen students uh, just, just, just being more involved in school. Uh, I've seen students advocate for themselves and advocate for their community. And, and I just see, like, you know, it's really cool because... Um, I taught a ninth grade course two years ago, and I have some of the same students in the 11th grade course, and I just, you know, it's easy to, we just pick it up, you know. We just pick it up, the students are raising their hand, they're contributing, they're, they're speaking their mind, they, they you know, they, they feel like they're part of the class. All right, folks, so, all right, so we're gonna start a whole new unit today. So we talked about the foundation of the United States, right? So we, we looked at the enslavement and the- He asked uh, the students, how does each person's story contribute to the larger narrative of the United States? So you guys gonna reflect and discuss what an America means to you and how different identities fit into a definition of America. So remember when we did identity chart, right? You had to write 20 things about yourself, right? Remember that? Okay, so you're gonna be trying to, to use some of that 20 things into what we're doing today. So I'm gonna give you a piece of paper and I'm gonna give you 10 minutes, okay? And you can use your headphone in those 10 minutes. And I, simply, you're just gonna draw what an American looks like. When the students were finished, they walk over to a multi-purpose room and arrange their chairs in a big circle. I drew a house because to me when people think of America they think of like white picket fence and big house and perfect family and a lot of money. Okay um, I drew like a split face with like a white person on one side and then a black person on the other side because I feel like America has a lot of different races because everybody comes here for a better life. So what I drew was like a, a house, like a nice house, and behind it is a huge flag, and the flag is supposed to represent like they were born in America and they were raised and born, and there's like two kids playing outside, it's boy and girl, like a typical like white family, that's what I was thinking. Why did you draw a white family? Because, mm, I don't know, I guess that's what just came up in my mind, because I guess that's when I grew up. It was like, I always thought of like, I always looked up to like the white kids because I grew up in Sacramento. So I would always see like white families around me. And so I was like, oh, I'm, I want to be just like, I want to have like a family just like that because I never really had a whole family. So I guess that's why I drew a white family. Um, so I just drew like a typical smiley face. Um, for the eyes I put dollar signs. Um, on the nose I drew a house with a white picket fence uh, and then on the teeth I drew flags from like China, Vietnam, 
um, Britain, Brazil, the United States, and Mexico, just to um, identify that an American can be anybody and anybody can be an American. One of the most inspiring Gen Z stories to come out of San Diego last year was when a Chula Vista High Tech High student won a very prestigious national award. Hi, my name is Ana de Almeida Amaral. I am 18 years old. I'm from Chula Vista, San Diego, and I'm studying at Stanford University. Last year, Ana won a Girl Scout Gold Award, the highest award you can earn from the organization. To get it, scouts must identify an issue in their community and create a project to address it. Her issue was representation. So I dedicated over, I believe it was over 700 hours to my project. Um, and it started with being a freshman at High Tech High and realizing that I felt like my cultural identity didn't really have a place in the classroom. So often that feels like I come into the class and I'm a certain version of Anna and then when I walk out then I can be like the Mexican-American Anna and often it feels like that part needs to stay at the door before I can come into the classroom which I think is it's I wouldn't say it's a traumatic but it's definitely uh, an experience that causes like dissonance within yourself because being Mexican-American and my cultural identity is a huge part of who I am it's it's essentially how I experience the world, especially being a person of color where um, I'm, I'm not a white passing person of color. Who I am and how I identify ethnically is very visible on my face and, and how through how I look. And so to pretend or to try to isolate that from my educational experience is not realistic and, and it's harmful. Interestingly, Anna had never heard of ethnic studies when she began designing the course. She and her friends just wanted to learn history through the perspective of people of color. Anna pointed to the way genocide is covered in schools. She said when she learned about the Holocaust, it was rightly portrayed as an atrocity. But when talking about genocide of indigenous people in the Americas, it was taught as progress, the new world, a necessary part of American history. Which is, for me, as someone who is visibly, like, has indigenous roots in Mexico, um, it's hard to hear that the death of my ancestors was something that needed to happen in order for us to reach a better place in humanity. And when, as a person of color, and not just as a Mexican-American person, but I know a lot of my black peers feel this way, when you go into a classroom and you only ever see yourself and your people represented as victims of genocide, as victims of slavery, as victim of, victims of oppression, the education system is giving us a very clear message about who they believe we are and who they believe our ancestors are. So Abby, you brought up something really interesting in our interview with Dr. Penner. You basically asked if the goal of ethnic studies is to teach students about other cultures and the curriculum is shaped by the racial makeup of the students, what do you do when it's a classroom full of white students? Here's what Dr. Penner said. I think it's a little different because a lot of the history that's taught in our schools reflect the history of white groups, you know, white individuals throughout both the state and the nation. And so the question is, well, you know, what kinds of things should white students be learning in these classes? And there, you know, I think it's important to include theories of whiteness and histories of a lot of these collective struggles, but then to also recognize the role that white people played in some of those struggles, uh, both as, uh, in some cases, perpetrators, but then in other cases as, you know, active contributors to some of the um, 
political struggles to overcome some of that oppression. She said the state is still taking all of that into consideration, too. We also asked Anna about the experience of white students in ethnic studies. She said she gets this question a lot, but it kind of misses the point because the experiences of white students have always come first. But she did say the courses help everyone. One of the greatest pieces of feedback that I've gotten from white students that have taken ethnic studies is just a better understanding of themselves in the context of our country and in the context of history, which I think is not just relevant to white students, but I think relevant to all students, um, is being able to understand the types of privilege and the types of um, like the type of marginalization that you suffer and the way that that's connected to history, to your peers, um, and to the advocacy that we lead. As we've all seen, since the Memorial Day killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police and renewed nationwide demands for racial justice that followed, Young people are becoming more active and some are demanding updates to school curriculum from English to history and more. Oklahoma has revised the way it teaches about the Tulsa race riots of 1921 and students nationwide are calling for anti-racist lessons in Maryland, New Jersey, Iowa, and other states. Lots of school districts have promised changes and they're working out the details now. Diversify Our Narrative is a national Gen Z-led coalition that wants to see anti-racist texts in English and literature classes in public schools. It was founded in June by Stanford students Jasmine Wynn and Caitlin Cho. So far, more than 55,000 people have signed their petition. My name is Nikita. I use she, her pronouns. I graduated from the Eastside Union High School District, so that's in NorCal Bay Area region, and I am going to be an incoming freshman at Stanford in the fall. And yeah, I'm really excited to talk to y'all today. Uh, I'm Sophia. I use she, her pronouns. I graduated from Carpinteria Unified School District in, or Carpinteria High School in 2017. And um, that's like near Santa Barbara for those who might not have heard of Carpinteria, a really small town. Um, and I'm currently going into my final year at UC Irvine as an econ and criminology double major. Nikita and Sophia represent California for Diversify Our Narrative, whose board is made up entirely of young women of color. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll just like summarize like the general clauses. It's um, having uh, books by a person of color, a BIPOC author, uh, speaking about their experiences, in particular, um, having them be by a uh, in particular, one of the books being by a Black author and speaking of their Black experiences, because I think that added nuance is super important because like, it, like me, I'm like a first generation Indian American student like in the US, like I have really unique experiences that other sort of demographics can't speak about. But when it comes to the Black experience, like I can't say like even me, regardless of how much I study regarding their culture and their experiences, I can't fully put myself in their shoes. So it's that's like one thing our campaign really like also preaches is really understanding black experience and also understand like in the context of having like multi-dimensional characters. Sophia said her hometown isn't very diverse, maybe with five or six black families. She said reading diverse texts growing up would have broadened her world. I think having this movement plant the seed of including more diversity and equity in the books that we read starting from a young age too 
it will allow people to have like a better worldview. It'll allow people to, um, especially young people of color, to see themselves in the books that they're taught in schools. And I think that's really important because what does that say to kids who can't see themselves in the books that they're re they're reading in schools? You know, what does that say to them? It says that oh, your story is secondary or your story is supplementary. And I think that's what we're trying to debunk is like, why can't our narratives be primary as well? Like ethnic studies, diversifier narrative faces criticisms too. They're told it's too expensive, too liberal, and that schools are doing just fine as they are. They haven't changed any curriculums yet, but they're growing their social media presence, building chapters all over the country. And like Generation Z itself, they're just getting started. As the future rushes up to meet Gen Z, don't be surprised if ethnic studies becomes more prevalent in high schools across the country. This diverse generation has a lot to learn about each other and a lot to teach the rest of us. I think the dream is to just everyone have a better understanding of each other by only portraying like stories of Black people as the help or as like criminals. It just really sends like a negative message and not that that story isn't important, but it's like, why can't we also have stories of black joy, of stories where like a black superhero, like why can't we also have this positive experience of what it's like to be a black person or what it's like to be an Asian person or a Latinx person. Um, so I think the dream here is to have this like diverse range of stories for each experience. And speaking of Black superheroes, we want to dedicate this episode to Chadwick Boseman, who died last week at the age of 43. Gen Z is written and produced by me, Abby Hamblin, and Christy Totten. Matthew T. Hall is our project editor, Beto Alvarez is our creative director, Gloria Obregozo designed our logo, and John Kelly designs our website and graphics. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite app. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.